Guess what? We are in season seven of the Iron Woman podcast. I'm Rosalie, and I really like Crave Jerky pink flavor. Also, it's raining tacos from out of the sky. Tacos, no need to ask why. Just open your mouth and close your eyes. It's raining tacos. Yum, 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 and yum. It's like a dream. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, Crave Jerky, of course, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. And now, the ladies you've been waiting for, Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chura. Bye for now. This week is Thanksgiving week, so have you been, like, prepping your cornucopias and getting things ready for Thanksgiving? Alyssa, great to talk with you, as always. And I did a lot of decorating for Halloween, and I feel like Halloween decorations kind of carry over to Thanksgiving, so I haven't done a lot of, like, specific Thanksgiving. I put the skulls away <laughs> and the um my spooky bouquet, but I've left a lot of the pumpkins that were indoors, at least, that haven't rotted yet. So that's my, there's my Thanksgiving thing. And I actually, I bought a pie today because I'm having some friends over my family who is here in Bozeman. We're doing like a breakfast Thanksgiving because we like breakfast food. And then, um, later in the day, I'm having some friends over and we'll do more like, uh, I guess traditional Thanksgiving with some Turkey and pumpkin pie. And I think someone's making my friend, Aaron, I think is making an apple pie. So that's what I'm most excited about. Oh, that's exciting. I'm just going to have a pretty quiet Thanksgiving, actually. So it's just my parents coming down and they're coming to Charlottesville. So I didn't have to do anything with Ramona so that Ramona can be a part of Thanksgiving. And we actually have uh, reservations somewhere. So we're eating out <laughs> for Thanksgiving nice. dinner. Yeah, I was, I was basically ask- like, I don't I've cooked a turkey before and it's not that I mind doing it, but also I like the snack aspect of and the pie aspect of Thanksgiving. So I feel like that stuff I can do and handle. And then the actual meal, though, I didn't really feel like being responsible for. And my parents didn't really feel like having to find everything in my kitchen to, like, make it a success. So we're going out. We're really excited about it. That's a good plan. I should caveat my previous thing. I'm not making the turkey. Someone is bringing the turkey over. I I offer the table and chairs (laughs) and pumpkin decor. The turkey's actually pretty easy. One time when I worked at AOL, it's like the new class of business analysts was in charge of the Thanksgiving that we had at the work or whatever before the week before Thanksgiving. And everyone was like, like, I think I missed the meeting or something where they doled out responsibilities. And so, of course, you come back and it's like, you're in charge of cooking the turducken. And so that was like the tradition that they had. And so that was my first experience ever having to cook anything like that. But the silver lining was you got to work from home that day because you had to cook the freaking turducken all day. And so that was kind of fun. And then how was it? Delicious. It's, it's actually like it was fine. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's actually really easy to cook. Like you, you just like look up online. Well, I don't think I had to pull anything out of it. That part gets a little dicey. I don't, 
I think I must have, I guess. But then you just look online and you like smother it in butter and some seasonings. And it's actually like you just literally leave it in the oven all day and it cooks itself. You do some basting, some basting. Oh, nice. Well, I will leave the cooking to the cooks. Food holidays make me a little nervous. I love holidays, but the food holidays, I like the idea of Thanksgiving. I like being thankful for things, but I'm glad all I had to do was buy a pie. <laughs> that, that is right in my wheelhouse. Um, I'm good at some things, not so good at others, but that's all right. And sorry to our listeners. You might hear, I am a little bit stuffed up and I'm actually going to call out Kelly O'Mara from this because I was catching up on my podcast this weekend and I was listening to if we were riding and Kelly had a cold on one of the recent ones. So I think I caught my cold from her through the podcast clearly, but hopefully maybe Aaron can even like edit me to have a nicer voice or something. We'll see what she can do. Wait, if you can catch colds through podcasts, are you infecting all of us now? Cause I can't, um, I need to go get a, like a face mask or something, or maybe need to put you a little mask on you. Cause that is not, I can't get sick right now. I'm, uh, you guys, I'm it's really a, enjoying my health. It's a myth. Don't worry. You can't catch, catch my cold by listening to the podcast. So keep listening. But Kelly, I still think I caught it from you. Okay. Well, anything else going on? Any, uh, Rogaining adventure racing adventures with Ramona? No, not a whole lot. I had, you know, we had Ironman Arizona, Ironman Cozumel this weekend, and I had several athletes racing all over to kind of keep me interested through the training weekend. And, but otherwise it was kind of like business as usual, I guess I survived that there's a big snowstorm on the East coast and it just was north of us, so there wasn't a lot of drama here, which was nice. And, yeah, just kind of plugging away. What about you? What's What else is new other than prepping for Thanksgiving? Training. And I will say I saw the documentary Free Solo this past weekend about Alex Honnold free soloing or climbing without ropes. El I Capitan. saw it the other week. You did? What yes. did you think? I thought it was super – it was like it made me very uncomfortable – it, I did not. It was not what I expected. <laughs> well, did you know the outcome before you went into the movie? Yes. I knew okay. he climbed it and he didn't so, die. Like I knew that. Okay. It's still, it's still something different to watch someone do it. Like it was, well, I don't and this know. is it's something you want to go rock climbing. No, it made me even more fearful of rock climbing for sure. And this is just something like, it's weird. Cause I guess we can relate to him on some levels, right. Of like wanting to be, the best and having these goals that like just seem so crazy and like almost haunt you for years. But then like, you're like, this guy's taking it like next, next level. And his goal is like life or death. Like if he doesn't succeed, it could be because he, he dies. Right. And so that part of it, they don't shy away from like really drilling that into you. I feel like when you're watching and then just the videography like everything I mean you feel like you're there and so I was really glad I went to see it on the big screen I think I don't know if it has more dates out if anyone can still catch it in their towns but you should totally go it's a really interesting story but I guess spoiler alert he doesn't die which was like my main concern going into the movie and so that even though I knew that though I was still like I had a knot in my stomach and I felt like so much anxiety through I so was much of the movie. Sweating. Yeah. <laughs> like my, I was sweating and like my, my feet like swelled in my shoes and like, it was like crazy. Like my palms were sweating. It was like, you have this actual, I don't know if I would want to see it again, but it was, um, and then just, he's a different kind of person than I would have expected. I mean, I guess you're not like 
a totally normal person to do those things. But I just, yeah, when you talk about it in the respect of triathlon, I mean, could you imagine if, if you didn't grab the first bottle you tried to grab going through trans, you know, an aid station on the bike, you died. Right. Like that's like, I mean, it's like, if that person, I mean, it's things like that. Or like, if you accidentally, you know, if you get a flat on the bike, you die. But you know what? You, one of the things I really, really liked watching about his habits was the journaling. And so he keeps that journal. And sometimes the narration of the movie is like his journal entry for that day of his climbing. And it's, it's funny. They poke fun at him a little bit. Cause they're like, do you ever say like, I got hungry or something, you know? And he's like, no, like, he's like, why would I write that? But he journals and he's like, okay, like left hook on the right rock with the little tiny white speck where I put my like second toe and then notch to the right hand, fourth finger, blah, blah. And he like writes all this stuff and he just does it day over day over day. And then like writes it and writes it right. And it drills it into his memory. And he's got to for sure have some sort of like a photographic memory too. I'm assuming like to blend all of that together into, I mean, can you imagine climbing like that for four hours and he has it all memorized, you know? And so it really gives such appreciation to like the amount of detail that goes into that sport. And I mean, being at his level in the sport is just, it's so crazy. It's so dangerous. I'm glad it we, we can miss right. water bottles he, if we need to I know, but the journaling is, I mean, there is power in that and I'm sure, you know, we could all learn something from that, but maybe not take it to quite the extreme, but yeah, I, I mean, it makes, it makes what we do, you know, it gives a perspective. And I think I do admire him for, you know, being who he is and accepting who he is. I saw another documentary this weekend. It was a big weekend of documentaries, but I actually saw in theater, in a theater here in Bozeman, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary, which I had seen previously on iTunes. If someone hasn't seen it, I think you can rent it on iTunes and it's worth it. But seeing it on the big screen was cool too, because I also have a bad habit of watching most of my movies on the trainer and I miss things. So I was like captive in the uh, theater and it was great. So I think you've seen that one as well. I have, but, and I started watching a documentary as well this weekend, Haley, the dogs one on Netflix that just came out in case anyone has oh, heard about seen this. That. So I think it's like a six episode documentary. It might be more. I don't know why I said six, but, and it's about dogs and it's so, I mean, bring your tissues, but they promised us no dogs die, but you still need tissues because it's sad at times, but like happy, sad and like emotional, sad and very gripping. Like if you were stressed about Alex's solo climbing, you will be totally stressed in episode two of dogs. Oh but no, again, maybe I don't need to, no, but it's, stick to the but it's dogs Kingsburg. and it's the best. And it, <laughs> that I mean, one was not stressful. That one was uplifting and it made me feel good. And I was like, I thought dogs would be like cute. I just want the puppy cam of like, you know, where they just show puppies playing. Yeah. I don't know if I can do stressful dog stories. Well, it's worth, it's good. It's, it's definitely good. I thought there's a lot of trainer material. We just went over yeah. <laughs> for uh, people who are stuck on the trainer this winter. Um, if you are the Northern hemisphere winter, you got lots to choose from and all of the documentaries. And we also had iron women was live on Instagram in Tempe and Haley. I actually went live with Ashley, which I didn't even know I could do on the iron women Instagram. So is that like Facebook? Like, is that going to still be there if people want it? Probably not, huh? I think it goes away after 24 hours. Okay. Well, some of them, I didn't see you on there. It oh, was wow. really fun and we could talk to each other. And I was, it was funny because I was all bundled up on the East coast and she was like tank top and sunglasses and Tempe. And we were talking about the race and I was very proud of myself because we were talking about Carrie Lester and I gave some background on her and about how I, she probably felt about this course and yada, yada. And then she got interviewed at the finish line. She said the exact same thing. I said, it was great. 
I do want to add, I think it's crazy that Carrie Lester got second place with an 844 and will not go to Kona. I mean, that is a smoking fast time, incredible performance. And I think, you know, it, this is the kind of the first time where there were four Kona slots in Arizona, but because of the number of starters of men versus women, there were 25 men who started and I think 15 women and our maybe 35 and 15. So three of the slots went to the men, one slot went to the women. And I don't think anyone would argue that those women's performances were incredible. And I can't believe you can go in 844 and not qualify for Kona. Well, it is really interesting, Healy, because it's like, I think in a, in a way that many people agree with you. And I think realizing the slot allocation has like, is still not good, <laughs> has been called attention to again, because I think people are a little outraged and it's like, what is the answer? I don't know, but it's like in a perfect world, right? Like we could have measured depth of field somehow for this race, because it's like, you look at the top three guys in Arizona that got spots. They're all great athletes. They're all, but they, none of them, I don't think not, you know, I should probably fact check myself at some point, but have been super competitive in Kona recently. And so, but you look at the women's race and there were plenty of women who have been competitive in the top 10 in Kona and they only had, they were only fighting for one spot. Right. So it's like, we're sending three men who, you know, probably won't be in top 10 in Kona. And then we're sending one woman out of many who could have competed for that spot. So it's like, it's, there is no answer. And Lord knows, I don't know how to calculate a depth of a field type of thing, but it's, it's a problem we need to solve. So yeah, it's, and it's, I'm frustrated yeah. for them. I mean, there's, yeah, it's a tough, tough question, but I feel there's a lot of smart people in the sport. We could find an answer. Yes. And I'm sure Carrie will, will make it to Kona and it's, I mean, we'll see, we'll see how things play out this year. And I think that that's going to give us some answers on what needs to be done, but it was clear in Arizona that this, you know, the new slot system is not perfect. Well, Haley, moving on, we have some mailbag this week, which is always exciting. So if people have questions, you can send them to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And the first one that we have is coming in from Maisha. And she is asking what the process is like for us as we decided what to go pro in, as in what distances will be the distance that we pursue. And did we like decide ahead of time this, or did it just kind of unfold as we were going? She's making her race schedule for next year and kind of doing, uh, some of all of it, but she's confused about how to figure out what to focus on when she is thinking about a path to hopefully eventually professional. All right. Well, I can take a stab for my own personal experience. I started the sport as an age grouper and I was mostly interested in racing a full Ironman distance race. And so that was, that was just my interest, my personal interest when I got into the sport. And so when I was taking that, you know, the next step of going pro, I knew I wanted to focus on Ironman and 70.3 distance races because you, we are allowed to buy a license for the year for Ironman branded races. And that will get you into those races that have prize money. And that is a lot of it. I think when we were getting into the sport, there were some non-drafting Olympic distance races that had prize money, but those kind of quickly went away in the first couple of years that I was racing pro in that, you know, 2013, 2014, 2015 years. So there weren't really other options 
for me to do um, races other than Ironman 70.3 and some of the challenge series races, which are half and full distance races with prize money. Uh, I know some people, you know, I looked into ITU racing and draft legal racing. And at the stage that I was in, in my career, my accounting career, I just, you know, when I was younger and kind of more interested in that, it wasn't going to work. Like I couldn't do the travel and I was still working. And for me at that point, Ironman made more sense. Ironman was what I was passionate about. And that was the path I took. Yeah. I think what you're passionate about part is such a huge piece and can't be ignored because triathlon is so hard. It's a lot of time and it's a lot of effort. So if you're not really enjoying what you're training for, then it's, you know, you could be quite talented at it, but you probably, if without that passion piece, you won't be talented enough to like really, you know, make a living or make a name for yourself in it. So I would say always kind of follow your heart in terms of the enjoyment. And hopefully that kind of aligns with some of your talent as well. Um, but a lot of it does unfold as you start doing the distances and as you race more, I too started as an age grouper. And so I was racing a bunch and I could kind of see like where I was more competitive. So that was definitely, I think consciously or subconsciously steering me in the direction of racing more full distance, but you know, certainly experiment with all of it while you can as an age grouper, like they're all really great to use for training purposes and to get out of your comfort zones and to be using for all sorts of purposes and training. So keep us posted though, as you race and pursue it, we can't wait to hear more from you. And Haley, we have another question. So this is coming in about Indian Wells 70.3 and the description of the race has the lake temperature as 50 degrees Fahrenheit, so 10 degrees Celsius. And we all know that that even with your wetsuit, that's pretty cold water. So she wants to know if she should swim with the like thermal head cap and booties. And she's not really used to swimming in cold water. I don't think anyone is hopefully too used to swimming in that cold of water, except for maybe Haley in Montana. <laughs> she might she might have most experience in that. So what would you say? I know I am. I'm racing Indian Wells 70.3. So I'm a little bit excited about those, that 50 degree water, because I probably do have a little more experience than most in cold water. But I think that if you aren't used to cold water, you probably a thermal cap and booties might be a good idea. We did look up the rules and if the water is below 65 degrees Fahrenheit, you can wear the booties. I would suggest testing them out. I know that especially a thermal cap where you have the, uh, you know, a strap underneath your chin, it can feel a little bit different and I've never swum with booties, but I imagine they feel different as well. So test them out if you can, even if it's just in the pool, just to get that feeling, does it feel different? And then I have also heard of people, you know, practicing by taking cold showers, you know, as kind of in, you know, some people do sauna training for heat, hot races do a cold shower. I mean, it, it sounds miserable. It probably is miserable, but it might just get you used to that kind of shock of the cold water. And that's, you know, that's what you want to avoid is just being shocked by the cold water. I don't know if this even relates, but when I, so Haley, I did a year of prep school in between high school and going to the Naval Academy. And I swam on the swim team at this prep school in Ohio. And the swim coach used to make us like go stand in the locker room, shower cold for like five minutes and then he would yell and then we would have to run out and then he would like start us like a swim meet. Right. And I guess like, it, I think that was to simulate having to swim hard when your muscles are cold, obviously, but I, it might be, I don't know you could try it. If Right. Like one more thing to like 
keep in mind as you're swimming in the cold water, be like, well, remember that day I took the cold shower and still swam fast. So maybe you could have yeah. that. Even if it's a mental toughness. I also thing. think that I think that might have been for mental toughness. I also think that cold water, I always have told myself cold water makes me swim faster because like the cold pools I'll go and swim my workouts in. And, you know, I think in general, you, you don't swim as fast, in a in a warm pool. So I always just tell myself cold water means we'll all swim fast. We'll get out onto the bikes easy, like faster. It'll be a good day. So mind over matter in a lot of ways too, I think for cold water. And I don't think that air temperature should be too cold. I haven't looked and I know we are still a little ways out from race day, but I think that makes a big difference too. If the air temperature is not too bad, um, then the cold water, you know, and it's, it's cold for everyone. So I think you just, you prepare yourself for the shock. You give yourself, you know, time to catch your breath and you just do what you can to keep moving forward and know that it will. And, you know, you'll get to the finish, but I think you can do some things ahead of time, the thermal cap, the booties, the cold showers. Those are good ideas for things you can do ahead of time to help hopefully prepare yourself. And Haley, our last mailbag question today is, is it appropriate for a full Ironman to pee on the bike? So this one is a, a, it depends question. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, if, we, if you remember back when we interviewed Jean Cologne, um, the French athlete, and I believe she was doing Ironman Copenhagen and she was actually DQ'd for peeing on the bike. And I've raced in Europe and they are pretty strict in Europe in their rules about public urination and, that includes peeing on the bike, includes peeing on yourself on the run. I think you will get de- disqualified if you are caught peeing on the bike. So if you are racing in Europe, no, I would not pee on the bike. I would probably just take the time to go to a porta potty and, you know, avoid disqualification. In North America, I think they're a little bit more lax. So you probably can, but I think you do want to be discreet because I don't think anyone wants to be peed on if they're right behind you or, you know, and they could probably still DQ. I don't know about the official rule, but I imagine, you know, you could get in trouble. Yeah. I feel like it probably is written in the official rules. So discreet was probably your best friend here. So like, yeah, going through aid stations, keep an extra bottle of water handy to be like washing things away. Maybe things like that, um, have always kind of helped. But at the end of the day, the rules are the rules. So if there is an official rule, then in theory, that's what you should go on. But I think in practice in North America, Haley's right that a lot of people, that rule gets bent, which is okay. Yes. It's a long bike ride to have to hold it. We understand. <laughs> yes. And I mean, you can, there are porta potties. I mean, if you absolutely have to, and sometimes I think it is worth it, depending on your goals. Sometimes I think it can be worth it to stop and take the one minute, you Stretch know, versus. Yeah. Versus, um, you know, making yourself very uncomfortable or risking a disqualification. Well, Haley, we have a really great interview coming up for everyone. Why don't you tell us a little bit about who we're talking to today? Yeah. So if people have followed along with NCAA adding women's triathlon as an emerging sport that started in 2014 and that kind of put varsity triathlon for in the NCAA on a 10 year timeline where they had to get 40 teams to become a full NCAA varsity sport. And then earlier this month on November 4th, they actually held the NCAA triathlon championships in Tempe, Arizona and the hometown team, the Arizona state, they took top honors in division one, um, Charlotte, North Carolina's Queens college won division two and the division three champions were the North central college of Naperville, Illinois. And a few of you might remember earlier this year, we talked to Moria Kuvaris, who was at that point 
the new head coach at Wagner College, which is located in Staten Island, New York. And I'm happy to report that the Wagner College Seahawks finished fourth in Division One National Championship. That was their first appearance there. So it's really cool to see this kind of, you know, this uh, evolution of women's NCAA triathlon. And it is happening. And just this past week um, or a couple weeks ago, the uh, there was more news that came out of NCAA triathlon, and that was Hampton University in Virginia became the 26th NCAA school to add varsity women's triathlon, the sixth division one program, and the first historically black college or university. So today we are going to talk to Dr. Takima Dorsey, and she is the executive director of the International Association of Black Triathletes, or IABT for short, about the addition of triathlon at Hampton and what this could mean for the future of the sport. Crave Jerky is back as a sponsor of the Iron Women podcast. Crave Jerky is low in fat, a good source of protein, gluten-free, and contains all natural ingredients. Crave meat snacks are made with tender, gourmet cuts of meat and crafted flavors with elevated yet simple ingredients. My favorite flavors include sweet chipotle beef, black cherry barbecue pork, and chili lime beef. You can try one of Crave's bold, tender flavors when you use the code IRONWOMEN to get 20% off at CraveJerky.com. Wahoo is dedicated to the journey of every athlete from a sprint to Ironman. Wahoo is with you every pedal stroke, every stride, and every trying moment with the commitment to make you better. As endurance athletes themselves, Wahoo provides an ecosystem of products, including Kicker Smart Trainers, Element Bike Computers, and Ticker Heart Rate Monitors, to provide exactly what you need to reach the finish line and smash your training goals. Hi, Takima. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me. So we've had some great news recently in the world of NCAA triathlon, and that was the addition of a varsity women's triathlon team at Hampton University. Hampton is the 26th school to add women's varsity triathlon, and it's the first historically black college or university. Can you tell us a little bit about your role in bringing triathlon to Hampton? So actually for the last three or four years, I've actually been trying to get a HBCU to offer the NCAA women's varsity program. So I've actually tried Morgan, Coppin, Howard, Bowie, UMES, and actually, Hampton was the last school we actually reached out to. This past summer, we held the first youth and junior track conference ever in the world and the first on HBCU campus. And um, Jessica Welk, who is the NCAA Women's Varsity Coordinator and High School Program Coordinator, Club Coordinator, was at our program, at our conference this past summer. So um, I'd let... Jessica know what we were working on, and she let us know what money was set aside for the H- first HBCU. And so the conversation as to Hampton being the first to jump on board was the kind of open the door. By Hampton being always wanting to be innovative, the first one is introducing something. Um, the money was made available there from the diversity standpoint. So Jessica went back. We can continue to reach out. And less than six weeks later, the first HBCU was birthed. You mentioned the money set aside specifically for an HBCU, a historically black college or university. And that was actually $225,000 grant from USA Triathlon. And they wanted that to go specifically toward a college like 
or university like Hampton. So can you tell me like how you worked with USAT and why they thought it was important for this money to go specifically to an HBCU? Well, um, according to Rocky Harris, who was also at the press release um, on November 30th, USA Triathlon knew that the diversity in the sport wasn't as they would have liked, you know, and for a while, you know, they've been trying to increase that, that disparity with African-Americans. As of August 26, 2016, there were 500,000 triathletes in the world. Only 0.5% were African-American. So at some point or another, you kind of got to face the elephant in the room, right? Which is there is not enough focus on increasing um, diversity in the sport by not addressing it. So after our Youth and Junior Conference this past summer with USA Triathlon wanting to increase the diversity in the sport and knowing that an HBCU would be a possibility their conversation with Jessica at our Youth and Junior Trial Conference and what they were already working on, USA Triathlon jumped right on with Hampton University knowing that there was an interest already there. I think we're all pretty excited that USAT did earmark that money and has that going to Hampton University and we're excited to see what comes out of them. And in your role as the executive director of the International Association of Black Triathletes, There's also a very large focus on the youth development and the junior athletes in the sport, especially in urban communities. How does having a historically black university like Hampton offering women's varsity triathlon helping that mission? Well, it's huge, huge in my eyes. Um, We started our youth and junior tribe program four years ago. And part of why I was advocating through um, IBT to get it on an HBCU campus was because we wanted to have that pipeline, the pipeline from an urban community to an HBCU to keep that diversity going, but also letting them know that if you want to go to an HBCU, the offer is there for, you know, prior to Hampton coming on, Although the NCAA Women's Triathlon Program was offered at a D1, D2, and D3 schools, they were not predominantly HBCUs. So which means by having youth and junior tri-clubs in the urban community and now the program at an HBCU, it helps to close that gap even more. Because it's important for Black youth and those living in urban communities to see more people like them at these schools taking part in these programs for them to say, this is something that I can do as well. And then also there are challenges and struggles in the urban community that are not in others. So an HBCU is also able to cater towards that because they understand what it means from an urban standpoint. So that pipeline is, you know, it's huge. It's huge on so many levels, you know, not just from a triathlon standpoint, but also increasing um, attendance at an HBCU through the sport and outside of the sport. So it's, it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. And we mentioned that you are the executive director and CEO of the International Association of Black Triathletes, or IABT. And we read a little bit about the history of the IABT coming out of a private social media group. So we know that these days, like social media has its upsides and downsides, and this seems like it was a major upside. So I'm curious about the, you know, the start, the roots of the IABT. So we felt that back, IABT started in 2012, as you mentioned, from a Facebook social group. And then at their time, there were a lot of, it, it was a lot of interest 
from African-Americans wanting to get in a sport. But we felt that there were more DNFs, DQs, do not, do not starts, or not finishing in a sport because people really, African-Americans really didn't understand the nuances of the sport. So from there, we wanted to change from a social media group into an organization to represent all, but especially African-Americans having a voice and having someone or group that can also advocate for not just their needs in a sport, but getting through the sport, but also getting in a sport. So in 2014, we went from the social group to a nonprofit. And from the nonprofit, we grew from there. And we've done, actually in 2017, um, IBT and my Self was awarded the multi multi sport of the year award through USAT Foundation, which was the first dual winner, first year for dual winners, um, because of the advocacy work that we do on behalf of all, but especially um, African American and youth. Youth. So. <laughs> and so you just said that you know there was a lot of DNFs or DQs or didn't even start the races even sometimes you know all these things. Yeah from the athletes who didn't understand the nuances of the sport. And on the website, you also say that there were needs not being met. And I, ass- I assume like those two are, are one in the same. So can you kind of spell these out for us and give us a little, you know, a little bit more about what exactly that you were looking for there? Okay. So yes, and you're absolutely right. There's a multitude of variables that come into that. So what was contributing what we found in race reports from African-Americans due to sport was dealing with, with the DQs, do not start, do not finish, is one nutrition, one was strength and conditioning, one was being able to choose an adequate trial coach versus a single discipline trial coach. Most individuals didn't understand how a training plan for a triathlete is different from swimming, cycling, or running, and being able to understand it sport does not have to be as expensive as one would identify it and or when it even comes down into clothing that fit African-Americans. Another topic was hair, you know, because in the urban community, you know, we have all types of hair. So that was an issue. So what we did when we transitioned over from a private Facebook group to an organization is that we wrote the first book in the industry, A Beginner's Guide for Triathlete, Jumpstart Your Journey by all African-American subject experts for everyone, but especially African-Americans, because we wanted to be able to break the sport down with those concerns that we were hearing that was being echoed as to why African-Americans weren't being successful in the sport to kind of give them a guide to say, hey, you can do this, but it's not so much your approach as it is your outlook. You need to look at the sport through a bigger lens than just, hey, let me just go jump in the water or not understanding nutrition or not understanding strength and conditioning or not understanding um, that workout that a triathlete need, you know, with swim cycle run, brick workouts and all of that. So we wanted to give them a tool and a base and a guide from which it would help them hopefully be a little more successful and really understanding nuances of such a complex sport such as triathlons. And is that book, I assume that's still out there somewhere. Where can our listeners find that book if they are yes, interested? They can actually find it on amazon.com and uh, you can get a hard copy or digital. And we were also um, identified as an Amazon bestseller in three categories because of the book. Very cool. And Tamika, you also on, you know, we, we've mentioned increasing numbers and the percentage of black triathletes and one of the ways that you've done that is by 
creating these conferences. And I believe you had your first conference just this past summer. Can you tell us a little bit about these conferences? Yeah. So it actually started last summer was actually the largest conference. It was the third one in three years. So we started out with our campaign throughout junior uh, multi-sport club, which was overcoming childhood obesity through multidiscipline sport, which was started back in 2016, helping other kids understand a sport through swim cycle run. The next year we picked up 80 youth and trained them, you know, education, career, occupation, jobs, as well as the sport. And we hosted our second annual Overcoming Childhood Obesity Through Multidiscipline Sport, but also started teaching the youth about different jobs within the multi-sport industry. So this year, we decided to host the first youth and junior trial conference to be able to unveil the, the multiple possibilities that the sport and the industry has to offer. Through IBT, our goal is not just from a sporting standpoint, but also how can we help navigate internships, colleges, introducing them to career opportunities such as the NCAA Women's Varsity Program, such as the, the triathlon clubs, and then also where they can go in terms of um, long-term. So um, next year in 2019, I mean, sorry, which was a huge success. We got a few citations from the governor and mayor here in Baltimore by hosting it. We had a great turnout on the HBCU campus. And next year, we actually have a multi-state tri-tour. So we'll be back in Baltimore. Then we're heading to Clarksville, Tennessee, and then Washington, D.C. So we're, we're pretty excited. And then our conference in June, we'll actually have Rocky Harris, which is president of USA Triathlon, here with us as one of our panel guests and speakers. And what are the ages and how does someone sign up for one of these conferences? Okay, so our target this year are for middle and high school only. So we are admitting um, the elementary school and they can go to www.ibtyouthandjuniortrialconference.com. Dot, yeah, dot com. I think it's dot com dot org. Sorry. And this year, the conference next year, I'm sorry, is actually free and we're making it free. And actually, it's a truck conference weekend. So just like this past year, we had the, the conference one day and then we had a splash and dash the next day. So it was a whole weekend event. So this year is the same in D.C., Maryland and Tennessee, where we have the conference on a Saturday and then we have um, Aquathon, Splash and Dash. Uh, aquathon, triathlon, and duathlon on the very next day, giving them that theory, education, and then the event um, all in the same weekend. And so sign up for the free conference at www.ibtyouthandjuniortrialconference.org. Um, and then if you're interested in the event, which we're hoping that they are, they can also sign up for the event on the website as well for a minimum fee. <laughs> And to came out, I actually, I grew up outside of Baltimore and then I lived in Baltimore about five years before coming back down to Virginia here. So I think it's a, like the perfect city to have this type of program. And, you know, I'm really, my triathlon roots kind of started there. So I'm excited that <laughs> you're doing all of that work there. So thank you for that. And also we did notice that these conferences have sections for like life skills basically, right? So they have like financial literacy yeah. and interview and resume skills. And so how, first of all, like, how do you make those sport and life topics work together in one conference? And then what's the reaction from the kids attending? Like, do you find them 
just, I mean, I would have been thrilled to have be going to a triathlon conference. Right. And then also be getting all this other life information. So do you think they even, they realize how big this is for them? Um, yes and no. Um, yes and no. We have had some youth from over the last three years that have attended our conferences or workshops to understand not how just it ties into a sport, but as it is social relationships, social skills, communication, getting along, teamwork, and just for them knowing that they are important and that someone has done something to focus on them. Because as we know, in a trial world, especially all of the wonderful certifications that USA Triathlon hosts, they're all for adults. There isn't a youth focus. So the reason why we made it a youth focus is because we want, one, to garner attraction for them to know that we're honing in on these topics just for you. And not just honing in on the topics just for you, but something that's related to how it's going to plant a seed and help you grow. So that was important. But, you know, financial literacy is something that all students need. And then the other part, too, as I get back to your question is, we're trying to tie reality in with their their schoolwork and their social in with reality. You know, as an educator and as a leader and as a parent and as a coach, nine times out of 10, most youth do not tie in math or reading, or science, or, you know, AVID, which is a big deal, Upward Bound, any of these programs to the real world. So what we wanted to do was to be able to say, if you focus on this, then it can lead here. That sports is something that can get you through a lot, but then what can you do with that sport? You know, how can you take journalism and work at USA Triathlon? ITU or be at the next Mike Riley, you know, at Ironman and start making announcements, making six figures a year or take your love for planning and become the next Jerry Boyle, you know, through Ironman Maryland with, you know, the number one um, race director in the U.S. And then the other part, like without focus going into 2019 with our conference Tri-Tour is to help the kids hone in on their current skill set. So if I'm a swimmer or if I'm a cyclist or if I'm a runner, what can I do with that? As opposed to STEM, which is okay, or entrepreneurship, which is fine. But we also have to understand, Alyssa and Haley, that not all kids are four-year college-bound students. Not all kids are community college-bound students, and that's okay. But we have a lot of kids that are reading below grade level. We have a lot high youth unemployment unemployment rate, especially in the urban community. We have a lot of youth with health disparities, academic disparities. We have a lot of youth that are homeless or, you know, wanted from one or two parent homes or single socioeconomic challenges. So how do we take your current love and help you see differently into where you can, it could be a return on investment. So if I'm a swimmer and I love swimming, I can go get become AED CPR first aid certified. I can take that love for swimming and become a junior lifeguard. So next summer at 14 or 15 years old, I can become a lifeguard making money. And then taking that love and going into college. But if we don't help to re refine or 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 change their perception of thinking, then the youth unemployment rate will continue to be higher. 
drug violence will continue to be higher. Crime rate will continue to be higher. Baby mama drama in the urban community will continue to be higher. But we have to find some way to break that hamster wheel. And the other thing, too, uh, Alyssa, to get back to your question, what we're also trying to show them, at least in a trial world, is that everyone is a winner. Everyone finishes. As long as you show up to practice or show up to an event, you're going to finish, which means that it's going to be an increase in self-esteem, increase in self-awareness, increase in self-discipline. And it doesn't matter if you can run a mile in seven minutes. All you need to do is believe in yourself. So there is a, a huge correlation between a sport and these soft skills that the earlier we plan it, such as middle school, by the time these kids get to high school, they will have a much better belief in self versus the world. Sorry, that was long, but... <laughs> I love that. And I can't wait um, until one of your, the kids from one of your programs replaces Mike Riley and gets to talk for 17 hours <laughs> yeah. all day. On, uh, that's Look, so that's awesome. the goal, right? I'm trying to find that kid who likes you know, to talk. I'm sure you have someone in mind. Yes, I do. And actually, Jerry Bull will be, he's going to, he's confirmed at our conference. Rocky Harris, president of USA Triathlon, is confirmed at our conference. You know, Hampton University assistant athletic director, Dr. Paula Jackson, is confirmed at our conference because we want them to be able to see that these are humans. You know, Rocky Harris has come from a sporting background and look where he is. You know, Jerry Bull comes from a real estate background. Look where he is. You know, Dr. Jackson from Hampton, which is assistant director, comes from certain background. But look where, look what they have achieved. And they're loving everything about what they're doing. But they're in, like, second and third careers, you know, as adults. Can you imagine if the seed was planted earlier as to the possibility and the reality of, hey, I like to do this. This is where I can go. Very so that, that's cool. what we're hoping that makes a big difference with through the conferences as we continue to put them on. All, all we can do is try, right? <laughs> right. And I am, as you've been about four years since you since you the IABT has become an official organization, can you name some of the biggest challenges and some of the biggest rewards that you've seen in the last couple of years? This is a big question here. Yes, it's huge. Um, and I'll start with the challenges because the challenges is what help with the breakthrough. So, you know, trying to introduce a sport that is taboo in an urban community is like talking to a brick wall and asking it to build itself. <laughs> you know, we would have conversations with head of school systems and head of um, recs and parks program or local coaches. And I'd be like, you know, do you know what a tractor on is? And they're like, yes, it's football, basketball, and track and field. <laughs> you know, <laughs> my kids are triathletes. And I'm like, no, that's not it. You know, and so it was kind of going in one ear and then out the other. And because of the complexity of the sport, I would lose a person after two to three minutes. Because as we know, you could see triathlon on a video, but it's completely different from real life, from a triathlon or a duathlon or an aquathon, you know, that independent spirit that one must have, that leadership that students develop. So it was very hard having people wrap their head around it. Um, it was very hard for people to embrace it. You know, I had people I would tell a concept to, and then all of a sudden they was trying to spin it like they had been a track leader or director, they was trying to kind of make it their own. Another barrier was 
and where we live in, in Baltimore, there's Baltimore County and Baltimore City. Well, in Baltimore County, there are no pools. No pools in school, no pools unless you go to the YMCA or, yeah, the YMCA. And then in Baltimore City, there are pools everywhere. In schools, you know, local clubs, the community college. But what we were finding is that, you know, the local HBCUs such as Coppin and Morgan, but Alyssa and Haley, people didn't want didn't want to open access to these pools. We have pools with no one using it. And so it, it became an uphill battle with saying, where do we go? You know, what do we do? We have a program, you know, that we want to introduce, but we don't have facilities. So that was that's been our biggest hang up with actually growing the programs because we were limited. Or if we say partner, partner with some organization, meaning that we had to give them credit or we had to put it underneath of them. And as I would explain to them, we partner with USA Triathlon. We can't put this underneath for you because we're I'm obligated as a race director. I'm obligated as a coach that it can't come underneath your entity, which at that point, the relationship became a new because does it make sense? So mm -hmm. after a while, I said, you know what? I said, well, maybe people aren't really listening. And sometimes in, in reality, in a work world, you have to do something big to garner someone's attention. So after the two years of us putting together the Overcoming Childhood Obesity programs and then even all the programs we've done with hosting free trial clinics and free swim lessons and you know, kids would come and go, that's when I decided to host the um, Youth and Junior Trial Conference. Now, mind you, in 2016, we held the first Youth and Junior Trial Do Splash and Dash event here in Baltimore. Like, we brought it to our urban community, but it still didn't catch on. And I'm like, what is it? I said, well, okay. I said, in order for people to get it, we have to give them the knowledge and the practical application. So that's where the two came together. And I have to tell you, before this conference... I said, I'm done in Baltimore. Now, mind you, I'm born and raised in an urban community and could not infiltrate it the way I felt that it could. But once this conference happened, we had the governor there. We had the secretary of state there. We had RG3's mom, Jacqueline Griffith there. We got a citation in front of everybody. We got another citation in the mail. So it became a huge deal because we had top-notch people from the state there. And so now our programs are all over the place. It's in three or four schools in Baltimore City. We just had, we have three schools in Baltimore County that's picking it up. And now we're moving into a multi-state tour next year. So the struggle was getting people to understand the sport. You know, they wanted to see a, we were, were we a one and done kind of organization, not wanting to support barriers in, in swim facilities. You know, it was hard to try to get um, students to understand it, parents to pay for it. So that was another hang up was the financial piece. And so trying to look externally with what some of the other clubs were, were paying, you know, charging students, we couldn't charge that here in the urban community. There's no way they couldn't afford it. So after the conference, it started opening up doors. And so we had to go a route that was low, low economic which was being able to oversell um, services. And now we have some schools that are paying for the program.
Takima, can you tell us a little bit about your own path into the sport? Because now we see you as a CEO of a multi-sport company. You're a USAT certified coach. You're also an Ironman finisher. So where did you first find triathlon? I stumbled upon it, actually. So I come from 24 years in running. I'm a part of 50 States Marathon Club, National Black Marathon Association, Marathon Maniacs, you know, all, over 300 endurance races, because that's all I run is marathons. And somewhere along, right around 2012, I started picking up cycling, you know, just as a cross training, nothing really big. I ended up doing my first 70.3 duathlon, which I was scared to death in 2013. I'm sorry. Um, and then someone at that point, triathlon started to um, garner more interest. And someone was like, you know, I only heard about the tries. And so after I finished doing the duathlon, I said, well, you know what? I'm a do a try. So my bucket list. I didn't even know how to swim at that point. So got finished on that, signed up for Ironman Eagleman, did not realize it was the longest, the hardest 70.3 on the East Coast. I don't even know what I was, didn't know it was in open water. Learned how to swim from a, a swim instructor I only met twice. And I was in a pool six, seven days a week. Taught myself how to swim. Um, by February, I did my first 67 laps. By March, I started open water, and I was felt. I said to myself, "What the crap was I thinking about?" Because I felt like I didn't know what I was doing transferring those skills from swimming to open water. Somebody sent me the link to I'm in Merlin. What was I thinking? And I was like, "Oh, it's only double the distance. It's okay. It'll work." Man, somebody lied. <laughs> so I completed Ironman Eagleman. Woo! By the skin of my teeth, because the chop tank scared me to death because of the rain. And then three months later, I finished Ironman Maryland. So I went from non-swimmer to Ironman, Ironman nine months and 15 days. <clears throat> and wow. then along that way, my kids were watching me. So when I finished, they wanted to become triathletes. So I taught all of them how to swim. They started the Youth and Junior Tri Club. And the rest is history. But boy, has somebody told me what I had to swim in, I probably wouldn't have done it. <laughs> I love that story. Alyssa and I have both also done Eagle Man and it is, it's hard. (laughs) It's hot. Yes. (laughs) And don't let it rain the night before because you're really in trouble. Uh Yes. But you know what? The venue is really nice, but that chop tank, you just don't know what you're dealing with. Uh, There is no way to prepare other than just keep swimming. You know, like Nemo, just keep swimming, just keep swimming. (laughs) A great, great mantra for all of us. Takima, you mentioned, you know, what's coming next for the IABT with the conferences um, next year. Is there anything else that we should know about or any other ways that people could get involved? Yes, actually, we not only did we just launch um, our multi-state tour, but we just actually launched our youth and junior coaching certification coaching program for middle and high schoolers. So what that is, is that it ties into our educational part, career, occupational learning, vocational. So what we're doing is pouring into middle schooler and high schoolers, giving them the basic certifications, CPR, AED, first aid, junior lifeguard, lifeguard, you know, helping them give back into the sport by becoming a junior coach and then helping them to understand 
to navigate what careers that are out there they they can potentially um, get into, and then they'll actually be working a conference all next summer. So you're gonna you're gonna get the practical application in theory here, and then we're gonna put you in a scenario to to help host the multi multi sport event and conference. So. People can they can get involved that way. We're always looking for donors. We're always looking for partners. Uh, we're always looking for volunteers. You know, as much as it's not so much about IBT, IBT multi sport racing, as it is about exposure, getting kids involved, helping the urban community understand what's out there. Even if the kids don't make this a long term thing, they can't knock something they don't know. So the more that these events, the more that these conferences are showing up, and we have um, uh, I'm naming rights to our Youth and Junior Trial Conference. So we will continue to be on tour, but the more race directors and coaches can try to find some way to tap into urban communities, because urban communities encompass everybody. It's not just white, it's not just black, it's not just Hispanic, it's not just Puerto, Puerto Rican or Asian, it's everyone. Then the sport is going to grow itself. And because of the diversity and the wonderful things that the sport offer everyone, you know, from, you know, disabled to paraplegic to just normal people, overweight people, small people, our kids and our adults need something in a place where they're going to feel comfortable in their own skin. You know, that you can build that teamwork and, you know, that real melting pot of what we know that you can love everyone regardless of skin color or race color or religion. And that's what the sport offers. So we can really get, a, you know, push away a lot of hate, you know, a lot of negativity towards each other. If we could just find something in a common ground. And to me, that's what the multi-sport industry offer. But it's just not enough awareness out there. It's not enough from a youth standpoint so that kids can see that we can, we really do all get along <laughs> and grow from there. <laughs> well, your energy is contagious and your vision is something that you can't really argue with either. So I have no doubt that you're going to take the IABT and the conferences and everything to some pretty great places. So thank you for the work you're doing and thank you for sharing that with us today and our listeners. Um, and we are excited to just follow along in the journey. Yes. Thank you so very much. And, you know, I'm not one to be in a forefront, although, you know, I'm a best-selling author and all of that. I like to do work in the background because that's where it really matters. But, you know, it meant the world to be reached. Uh, it meant the world um, when Haley reached out for this. And I'm like, well, OK. And I will say this, that we are hoping to partner with Hampton University. Because, you know, one of the questions that they had, um, and this, hopefully it's okay, I know that this wasn't a question that was brought up, but I'm going to throw it out there if that's all right. If not, you know, you can delete it. Um, you know, one of the questions that was asked of us, you know, now that there is an HBCU that is offering this, will we be back? And the answer is absolutely. We actually sent a proposal to Hampton to introduce adult triathlon clinics for the collegiate part, but then also building the grassroots for youth and junior programs in the Hampton multi-state area, because I said to them, and even a race director, I'm sorry, the athletic director, this is great that you have it, but now how do you grow it? How do you sustain it? How do you allow it to go? And that's, and that's been what we're great at, that grassroots opportunity to build, build, build. So we want to be able to work with Hampton before the launch of um, 
their program in 2019 and at least start gaining an interest. So hopefully we'll have some tri clinics that are coming up down there. Um, Rocky Harris actually asked us to consider hosting our Youth and Junior Tri Conference 2020 at Hampton University and then continue to do things on a campus that's going to help keep that spark alive and then introduce what this sport is about. Because it, it for the urban community, Haley and Alyssa, it is it is it's mind-blowing. And it's, it's such an opportunity that personally... I want to make sure that we see it flourish and grow and hope that other HBCU, HBCUs cap on, catch on. And if not, Hampton University will have kids from Baltimore City, Baltimore County, through IBT Junior Multi-School Club that I'm sending to Hampton University. And we'll be there to help, you know, from a, a race company and expertise standpoint to hopefully help plant that seed. Such a cool story. Thank you so much. And we can't wait to see, you know, just the growth continue. So thank you. Thank you so very much. Sorry I didn't talk too much. I can talk a lot, but I'm just saying. <laughs> Never too much. Never too much. We love all the stories, but we will uh, definitely, we'll, we'll keep an eye on Hampton, or Hampton University and the IABT in the coming years. Okay. Well, Haley, I can't imagine that Mike Riley really has too many years left. I love Mike Riley like everyone else does, but you know, he's got to be coming up on his end game shortly. And I really hope Takima has someone lined up for us because I just think that would be such a wonderful treat for everyone. From listening to Takima talk, it sounds like she is going to have someone lined up for every single role in all of triathlon from the athletes to the race directors to, I mean, Andrew Messick, I think, we could find the next replacement for Andrew Messick from her group um, in the coming years. It's, it's a cool story. I'm excited to see where it goes. It is really cool. And quite honestly, I am just so glad that she did take time to tell us all of this because, you know, I, I had seen the press release about Hampton University and I saw the USAT grant, but I honestly did not realize that her organization was a driving force behind a lot of that. And I know through the work I've done with Tri Equal and things like that, the honest to God hard work it takes to put something like that into motion. Like I can't even fathom what, how hard she's been working over the past few years to get that done. So I'm just, I'm super impressed with her story. I'm really glad she shared it with us today. And I really, am just excited to see it grow from here. And it is Thanksgiving when this podcast comes out, which means that tomorrow is black Friday, which is a, uh, is it an official shopping holiday in the United States? I think it maybe it's worldwide now. <laughs> I don't know. But if anyone is inclined to uh, support any of our sponsors in their Black Friday shopping, Wahoo, Smashfest Queen, F2C Nutrition, and Rudy Project, most of those you can use the code IRONWOMEN for some kind of discount. And if you are curious about the specific discounts, you can check them out at ironwomenpodcast.com. And in between, as you're doing your checkouts. Don't forget to head to where you can rate or review us with your podcast app and give us a review. Let us know what you think. It always helps us. Thank you so much. And Haley, I'll talk to you next week. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, Alyssa. This is a special song. It's me and my friend's song that we made ourselves. This song is called Here I Am, Get Ready for the Chorus.
I am here, now you cannot take me. I will stand up this whole entire time. I am strong, now you cannot beat me. I will stand up because I am here. The Iron Woman Podcast is a live, feisty media production. Our hosts are Alyssa Gadeski and Haley Chara, and our awesome editors, Aaron Hamilton. Also, we couldn't do this without our sponsors, Wahoo Fitness, Crave Jerky, of course, FTC Nutrition, and Smash Fest Queen. Uh-huh.